This week, we're looking at four characters from the Bible who failed to address spiritual, moral, emotional, and relational weaknesses in their life. This message is the second in the series, I Will Grow Stronger. The message is entitled, Fear Your Weaknesses. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, if you will, as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. We're continuing our series together called I Will Grow Stronger, and I want to share with you a very important message today. It's a sobering message. It's a serious message, but it's an extremely valuable lesson for us. And the message that uh, I will share with you today is really encapsulated in the one statement that is the title of today's message, and that is this, fear your weakness. Say it with me. Fear your weakness. I want to talk to you about why you need to be afraid of weaknesses in your life. Before I do, let me just remind you that when you came into relationship with Jesus Christ, He has a plan for your life, and His plan is for your good. Jesus said the thief, that's the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That is, have it, one translation says, more abundantly. And that word more describes the life God has for you, more life. You can have more life with Jesus than without Him, amen? Your life can be fuller, richer, greater, more productive, more fruitful. And so Jesus wants you to experience this more life. But to experience the more life, you have to make the right decisions. And we're walking our way through some of the decisions that are essential. Back in the fall, we talked about the decision that says, I will, I will grow strong. I will, uh, I will not settle for less. God made me for more. And then we talked about, I will go deeper. And now we're focusing on the decision, I will grow stronger. Say that with me. I will grow stronger. It's a decision that you make in your life. And to grow stronger requires effort. You never gain strength in your body, strength in your muscles without putting some work in. The same is true spiritually. You will never grow stronger without investing some effort. And to invest effort, you have to be motivated. If you're not motivated, you will do nothing. I think all of us have looked back at life at times and we've made resolutions, we've had good intentions about what we wanted to do, but we never quite, quite got motivated to actually do it. And so for life to change as it needs to change for you and me, there must be a motivation factor, something that is the motor inside of us that is generating the energy and the vision to move forward. And one of the things that will motivate you in life is to realize the consequences of not making certain changes. See, there are times in life that we need those wake-up calls. For some, it is a, a, a medical crisis. And in that medical crisis, suddenly they realize, if I don't make some changes, I'm damaging or shortening up my lifespan. And that medical crisis motivates them to do something. The consequences of not changing are greater than, the, the, that are greater than they want to pay. And I want to talk to you today about the consequences of not getting stronger. The fact that you and I need to be afraid of our weaknesses. And the reason that you need to be afraid of your weakness is because weakness creates vulnerability in you. It's true physically. If you have a weak immune system, you're much more vulnerable to certain viruses and diseases. If you're weak spiritually, you're vulnerable to lots of different things. And what I'm going to do for the next few moments, I'm going to share with you four case studies Four individuals from, from the Bible who actually 
did, never addressed weakness in their life and because of it they suffered a variety of consequences and their negative example will produce positive examples for us. So what happens when you are spiritually weak? Number one, weakness will steal your future. Weakness will steal your future. Be afraid of being weak because weakness will steal your future. Your future is what is unfolding before you. And in your future, you have certain things that you can control and certain things that you cannot control. And the things you can control are controlled by your choices. And if you make good choices, those choices will put you toward a better future. If you make bad choices, you will suffer the consequences accordingly. And the stronger you are, that's a choice you make, I will grow stronger, the stronger your future will be. And in the scriptures, we find a man who failed to make that decision. Instead of growing stronger, he allowed a weakness to consume him. And I want to talk to you about the man in the Old Testament named Esau. You will find his story in Genesis chapter 25, at least a portion of his story in Genesis chapter 25. I'm not going to read this, this section of scripture for you today, but I am going to tell you a little bit about the story of Esau and the weakness that he had that he never, ever addressed. To understand the story of Esau, you have to go back to another man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was called by God to leave an idolatrous culture and come into the land of Canaan, where God said, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. And so Abraham understands that God has a future for him. He and his wife, Sarah, eventually have a son by the name of Isaac, who is the promised child. In their old age, Isaac is born. Isaac grows up and marries a lady by the name of Rebekah. And eventually, Isaac and Rebekah have twin boys. On the day of their birth, these twin boys, one born first, obviously coming out first, they named him Esau. The second boy was named Jacob. And because Esau was the firstborn of the twins, he received something that was customary to receive back in those days. It was called a birthright. And a birthright was a blessing, a blessing from the father that because you were the firstborn, there were certain privileges and a certain honor that came upon your life and certain blessings practically that you inherited because because of that position in the family. So Esau, the first of the twins, had the birthright. As Esau and Jacob grew up, they developed very different personalities. Esau was a guy that loved to be outside. He loved to go hunting. He loved the outdoors. He was a rough and tumble sort of guy. And Jacob was a bit more on the, on the domestic side. He enjoyed being at home with mom and doing some things inside the house. They were just very different in their personalities. And this came to a stark moment in their experience when one day Esau had been out in the fields, he'd had a, a day outside, came back in, and he was starving. He was very hungry. And while he'd been away, Jacob was in the kitchen whipping up something that smelled real good. So Esau comes through the door and enters the kitchen, if you will, and there is Jacob with his pot of stew, and it just smells so wonderful. And Esau says, I've got to have some of that stew. I am starving. I need some food. And what you must also understand about Jacob is that Jacob was a conniving sort of guy and a deceiving sort of guy. You'll see this in his personality all throughout the scriptures until God really did a work in his character. And so in this moment, Jacob realized that Esau had a weakness that he could take advantage of. And the weakness was, I've got the stew Esau has the birthright, so maybe we can make a deal. And he said to Esau, Esau, I will give you a bowl of soup 
if you will give me your birthright. Think about that for a moment. The obvious response and the right response to that would have been, no way, I'm not going to give up something as valuable as a birthright for, for a bowl of soup. I can live by missing one meal. It's not worth it to give up this wonderful thing my Father has bestowed upon me. But in his weakness at that moment, Esau said, you know what? I'm going to give in to my appetite. He yielded to it, and the weakness of Esau caused him to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. Think about that for a moment. And there in that moment, he let his whole future go right out the window because he gave place to an appetite. The writer of Hebrew, Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us insight to this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. And here's the warning to you and me. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal, you know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. If you had looked at Esau, his physique was the physique of a very strong man, but he was weak on the inside. And his weakness caused him to compromise his future. What causes weakness in people? What caused this weakness in Esau? Let me share with you four things that I believe will cause weakness in you in such a way that you forfeit your future. Weak people fail to understand the important from the unimportant. Esau didn't realize how important his birthright was. He felt that the soup was more important than the birthright. And weak people have a tendency to make unimportant things important. Weak people fail to realize that there are long-term consequences often for our short-term decisions. That You can make a short-term, quick decision, and it can impact you for the rest of your life. And Esau did not realize this. Weak people, thirdly, fail to understand the need and value of deferring gratification. Esau could not say, you know what, I know I'm hungry, but I'm just going to defer this need for a moment. I'm going to push away from the table. I'm going to say no to this and defer it to a later time. And one of the wisest things that we will often do in life is to learn how to develop the capacity to defer our gratification, to say we're going to put that on hold, that strength of character. And then weak people fail to put brakes on their feelings and brakes on their appetites. I believe that every Christian believer should have two things working in their life, a motor that drives them and gets them up and moving, and a good set of brakes that you can put on when you need to say no, that you know how to say no. And here is Esau who sacrificed his future for a weakness in his life. He gave in to a bowl of soup. Fear your weakness. Why? Because your weakness can steal your future. Number two, fear your weakness because weakness will limit your potential. Not only does weakness rob you of your future, but it can also steal potential in your life. Your potential is what you can become. It's not what you are. It's what you could become. And potential can be realized. It can be unrealized, or it can be partially realized. That's what you must understand. Everybody has potential. But just because you have potential doesn't mean you're going to realize it. There are a lot of people walking around with unrealized potential or partially realized potential. And we come to, to the next 
individual in our study today, the next case study, if you will. And it's the story of a man by the name of Samson. And Samson was a man who had huge potential, incredible potential, but he never reached his full potential. Let me read you the story in Judges chapter 13, beginning in verse number 2. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town, town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful you must not drink wine or any other al al alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. Here's his potential. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. God said, I'm going to give you, spoke to Manoah and his wife, and said, I'm going to give you a son, a boy, and here's the potential. Here's the plan I have for him. He's going to be the one that will set Israel free from this enemy force called the Philistines. Well, Samson began to have, as he grew up, he began to have some victories. He did conquer and have some battles against the Philistines where he was victorious. But over time, there was a weakness in Samson that he never addressed. He never dealt with. And it comes again to a culminating moment when he enters into a relationship with a lady by the name of Delilah. And there all of Samson's weakness surfaces and causes his potential to be drained from him. Let's look at the story now in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse number 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and, and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So you've got to understand, here is Samson, this strong guy who's beginning to have some victories over the Philistines. And here is the Philistines are concerned about this. So they realize that Samson has the relationship with Delilah. So they go to her and say, you know what? We'll give you a whole bunch of money if you can find out what makes this guy so strong. Find the secret of his strength. So Delilah said to Samson, verse 6, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. And of course, there's a back and forth between Delilah and Samson. We come to verse 15. Then Delilah pouted, How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson, what did he do? What did he do, folks? He shared his secret. It was the moment of weakness. He shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to, the God, of God, to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized that he had finally told her the truth, so he sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a, called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought 
I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. Are you seeing a man that starts out with incredible potential, but now because of a weakness that he has in his life, he's forfeited that potential? Chapter 16, verse 21 is a very sad part of the story. So the Philistines captured him, that Samson, and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Note this. His weakness led him to a place in him experiencing binding. He was bound by the Philistines. And then there was blinding. They gouged his eyes out. And then they made him grind out the grain. I will tell you that if you don't deal with weaknesses in your life, fear your weaknesses. Why? Because they will lead you to a life of binding and blinding and grinding away at life rather than experiencing the fullness of the potential that God has in store for you. The third principle that we see today is this. Weakness will cause us many problems, unnecessary problems and pain, and cause unnecessary problems and pain for other people. When you're weak, you're going to have more pain in your life than you need to have, and you'll cause more pain for other people than you should. Life already has enough pain, correct? It's just, it's just a part of life. You can't avoid a certain amount of pain. But the, there, there are dimensions of pain that you can avoid if you'll be strong. Weak people have more pain in their life, and they cause more pain. A case study related to this principle is a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon was a man who started out strong but ended up extremely weak. He did not finish strong. He went from strength to weakness. Instead of going from weakness to strength, he did the opposite. He started strong, ended up weak. Let's take a look at Solomon's start. Solomon's start is described in 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm not going to read the passage for you, but I will tell you the story. To understand Solomon, you must understand that he's David's son. And he's now going to become the third king of Israel. There was Saul, the first king, David, the second king. And now when David is about to die, God spoke to David and said, Solomon is to be the next king. And so David appointed Solomon to reign in Israel. When Solomon realized that he had to follow up from his father, he was very intimidated by the responsibility. And so he cries out to God. He's hurting. He's, he's wanting to know how he's going to do this. And God shows up in his life one night in a dream. And there's this moment that God says, Solomon, ask me for anything you want. It was a test to see what Solomon would ask. And if you've studied the story of Solomon, you know that Solomon asked for one thing. What did he ask for? He said, God... Give me wisdom. I don't know how to do this king thing. I saw David do it. My father do it. I don't know how to do it. Would you please help me to know how to go in and come out, how to lead the people? I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And in his humility, he asked for wisdom. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to bless you with all kinds of things as well. And so God made Solomon one of the wisest men that has ever lived. He understood the principles of God. He understood principles of relationships. He had understand all, understood all kinds of things that people would come to him for wisdom. In fact, to this very day, when you pick up your Bible and open it up in the Old Testament and flip your way through the Bible, you'll end up in a book called Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs was largely written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
to a man by the name of Solomon who wrote these principles of wisdom. However, over a period of time, instead of remaining strong, he slipped into weakness. There was something in him that he never dealt with. What's the title of today's message? Fear your weakness. Fear your weakness. Why? Because Esau lost his future because of his weakness, right? Samson missed his potential because of his weakness. And Solomon is about to cause a huge amount of pain for himself and for other people because of his weakness. Here's what happened. As he grew further and further away from God toward the latter part of his life, he began to marry all these foreign women, trying to make alliances with all these different nations to keep peace in the land. And when these foreign wives would come to live with Solomon, they brought with them their idols. And instead of submitting to the God of Israel, they continued in their idolatry, and that idolatry infiltrated Solomon's life and began to diminish his relationship with God. Let's go now to the book of 1 Kings chapter Let's go now to chapter 11 of 1 Kings, the first nine verses. Listen to what happens. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. Notice the weakness. He insisted on doing what he wanted to do. He insisted on loving them anyway. Verse 3, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Do the math. That's a thousand women in his life, okay? That alone tells you how foolish he was, right? Okay. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped, get this, this is terrible. Solomon worshipped Astoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives... East of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemesh, the, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. So here is the story, in the story of Solomon, who started out in such a humble, strong, place with God, he went from strength to weakness. He drifted in the wrong direction. See, strength is not just something you must develop. Strength is something you must maintain in life. And you said, you say, well, pastor, what does this have to do with pain? It has a lot to do with pain. I promise you, Solomon had a lot of pain in his life. Trying to please a thousand women, that's a lot of pain, okay? <laughs> Amen. He's got a lot of stuff going on in his world, okay? But let's go beyond that. He also caused a lot of pain for a lot of other people. I'm going to show you how. Because when Solomon gets to the end of his life, and it's time now for him to die and pass the kingdom on to someone else, there was no clear leader in Israel. 
And so what transpired was two rival forces rose up and started battling with one another, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and they started fighting it out for the kingdom, and it resulted in the kingdom of Israel that had been united in a powerful way under David being split into a divided kingdom, the ten tribes to the north, and they were eventually, because of their idolatry, taken off into captivity by the Assyrians, and the two tribes to the south that eventually were taken off because of their, their idolatry into the Babylonian captivity. And so the choices that Solomon made out of his weakness did not just affect him, it affected generations after him. Did you hear what I said? The weakness that Solomon refused to deal with in his life not only affected him, but it affected the generations after him. Generations, several generations after him were still dealing with the consequences of a man named Solomon. They were still dealing with pain and problems because he was weak. Fear your weakness. Why? Because weakness will steal your future. Weakness will limit your potential. And weakness will cause pain and problems for you and other people that, are, that is un, totally unnecessary. There's one last principle I want to give you today. And the fourth thing that you must understand about weakness and the consequence of it is that weakness makes you usable by our spiritual adversary. If I were to ask you today, do you want to be used by the devil, what would your response be? I hope it would be no. I believe it would be no. We know that God uses people, and just as surely as God uses people, the devil uses people. Classic example of that is in the life of Peter himself. There was a day that Jesus had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down, and the Gospel of Matthew talks about this. He comes down for the mountain, starts talking about having to go to, to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. And Peter says, oh, Lord, that'll never happen to you. And he rebuked Jesus, saying, this is not going to happen to you. And Jesus looked at Peter that day and said these words to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. There in that, that moment, Peter, who was not just one of the twelve, but one of Jesus' three most intimate companions, was being a voice of the adversary against Jesus that day. And so people can unwittingly be used by the devil. You don't want that to be you. You don't want to have a weakness in your life that causes you to be a pawn for the work of darkness rather than being a vessel for the work of God's kingdom and his light. There's a story of a man in scripture that I want us to focus on as we're wrapping up today. It's a story of a man named Judas. Judas ended up being used by the devil because Judas had a weakness in his life that he was not willing to address. Before we look at his weakness, let me tell you a little bit about Judas so you understand the context. Judas was one of 12 people that Jesus chose to be with him as one of his disciples. I call that an honor. How about you? Out of Israel, Jesus picks 12 people and he picks me? That's awesome. That's incredible. I get to be a part of Jesus' team. I get to be in Jesus' life group. That's pretty good, huh? 
I get to be in Jesus' church. He's my pastor. I get to hang out with Jesus. You're kidding? Every day I get to spend with Jesus, the very Son of God, the Messiah. What an honor. What a privilege. Only 12 people had that kind of honor and that kind of privilege, and Judas was one of them. And so every day, practically every day, most likely, Judas for three and a half years would have been with or around Jesus for the influence of Jesus in his life. And while all of the disciples had their issues and had their weaknesses, many of them were upfront about their weaknesses, but there was a part of Judas that he never opened up to the Savior. And this weakness in him comes to surface when Jesus was at the home of Martha and Mary after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the, from the grave, from the, from the tomb. That was the brother of Martha and Mary. And so Jesus comes back for a meal there, and Mary is so overwhelmed with gratitude for what Jesus had done for her brother and bringing him back to life again that she broke out a jar of very special perfume. It was called pure nard. More than likely, it had been, it had been uh, imported from the, from, from the Himalayas, from, from India somewhere. It was very, very costly. It was, the Bible says that it was worth a whole year's wages. And because Mary was so in love with Jesus, she broke open that special jar of perfume and poured it all over Jesus' feet in worship and in praise and in adoration and thanksgiving. It was exuberant and excessive worship, generous worship to her Savior because of the love she had for what he had done and what he meant to her. And as all this is going on, Judas is standing back watching it. And we pick up the story in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Everybody say opinion. You think he had an opinion? He did, but he, it was really a cover. You know, sometimes your opinions are covers for issues in your own life. Amen? And that's what's going on here. He had an opinion, but it was a cover for an issue in his own life. Because verse 6 exposes it. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often did what? Stole some for himself. Here is a man that, although he had spent three, three and a half years practically every day with Jesus, he had never opened up that part of his life to Jesus. It was still a weakness inside of him that he'd not addressed. And that weakness in him was tapped and strategically used by Satan in Satan's scheme to try and destroy Jesus. At just the right moment, Satan pulled the string in Judas's life to make him a tool in his hands. Notice the story now in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 14. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me? to betray Jesus to you. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. This comes to its concluding moment when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on the night that he will go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a Thursday evening. He would be crucified the next day. And he's sitting around at the Last Supper 
with the 12 disciples and he makes the statement, Jesus does, one of you here will betray me. Everybody in the group is shocked except Judas. And they're asking, who, me, Lord? Well, I, you're not talking about who, who Lord? Who's going to betray you? And Jesus replied or responded, John 13, 26 and 27, it is the one to whom I give the bread, I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And I want you to notice verse 27. Because prior to this time, the devil was just playing around with him. He was using his weakness, his lust for money, his greed, that caused him to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And notice verse 27. When Judas had eaten the bread, what happened? Read it with me. Satan did what? Satan entered him. Satan entered into him. He'd been playing around with him, but at this moment, now the play turned really serious, and he entered into him. And then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. The setup, listen to me, the setup for Judas's downfall was a weakness he never addressed in his life. When you and I fail to address weaknesses, it is serious. Why? Because a weakness can steal your future. Ask Esau. A weakness can limit your potential. Ask Samson. Your weakness can cause you and other people a lot of pain. Ask Solomon. And your weakness can cause you to become a tool in the hands of the adversary, the devil, instead of a, a vessel for God. If you don't believe it, ask Judas. Fear your weakness. Now here's the good news. When you properly fear your weakness, here's what Jesus does. This is what Jesus specializes. Jesus specializes and taking weakness and turning it into strength. Amen? Okay? Isn't that great to know? But it can't happen until you properly address it in your life. But I promise you, Jesus is the one that is the Savior. He is, I am weak, He is strong. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We're so grateful that there are these moments in life that You give us a serious checkup. We need it, Lord. And I pray that in each of our lives today that you'd help us to, to have a healthy fear of our weaknesses. Not to be immobilized by that fear, but to be motivated to do something about it. And I pray, Lord, there'll also be hope in our hearts today that as we address the weaknesses of our life, that we will know deeply that you're the one who is able to take weakness and transform it into strength. And I pray that today would be a significant turning point day for us, a day that will change us for the rest of our lives, that motivation would come like we've never known before, and our declaration today will be, I will grow stronger, in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. 
know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.